Hi, and welcome to the 603 Podcast, where we explore the people, places, and things that create the culture of New Hampshire. This podcast educates, motivates, and discovers the stories that shape the Granite State and its impact on the country and the world. Hi, everybody. I'm extreme sports pioneer Dan Egan and your host of the 603 Podcast. I'm excited about this podcast for so many reasons. First, to share the stories. Second, to meet and get to know the people who create, share, and develop the activities, businesses, and iconic history of our state. But also to hear from you, our listeners, about the stories and ideas you think that we should share on our podcast. You can check out our website at 603podcast.com to learn more about our guests and to share with us your stories and ideas of people who you think we should interview. Our guest this episode on the 603 Podcast is Mark Hayes. Mark is a visionary who took his passion for mountain biking and created America's Bike Park. He transformed the old defunct Highland Ski Area into a world-class mountain bike mecca. In our conversation, he turns his sights to the future of the region and the potential network of trails connecting Northfield, Franklin, Tilton, the Winnipesaukee River Rail Trail, and beyond. Mark also shares about his dad and the iconic mountain bike park sticker and logo, and so much more. Let's dive in. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great, Dan. Thanks. 20 years. Tell me about that. What was the first time you saw Highland Ski Area, and, and what did you see the first time you saw it? It was uh, the winter of 2003, and I went up there with four or five of my buddies. We started walking around, not really anticipating much, because I had looked at other properties, and just looking everywhere, like, whoa, we could build a drop over there, or jump over there, or... You know, just there was just so much going on, and it just made all the sense in the world. Easily, easy access off the highway. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool initial experience. You know, Highland has always been one of those spots. It was my dad's favorite ski area. And when we drove up from Boston, even if we didn't go to Highlands, uh, it was the place that he always pointed out to us, and he had a real connection with it. Have you? bumped into this with the skiers from back when it was a ski area and tell me about their connection to the place yeah i think that connection is uh, pretty interesting we did a 50th anniversary party for the ski area i think it was 2018 because it started in 68 69 that's when the elliott family owned it and that's probably when your dad knew it uh it was a pretty cool event uh people were i mean I think there was a 90-something-year-old woman that was there that just absolutely had, you know, she's just blown away about today, you know, as a bike park and didn't really know much about it. But, you know, just a lot of locals that have skied there. It, it was a really good feeling because it wasn't all the biker people. It was the, the older skier people that had grown up and skied and had all kinds of stories. So super cool event. Do you feel sort of connected to that legacy and... What's it feel like to be keep it, you know, bringing the place back to life? You know, coming up with a name uh, originally, I just I wanted to keep it true to its roots. You know, it was called the Highlands Mountain Ski Area, and we kept it. You know, we called it Highland Mountain Bike Park. So, park, so I guess we dropped the S. But yeah, it was um, that connection to the community was super important. You know, to keep just to keep everybody, including ourselves, just feeling right about it. 
even though we were changing the use from a ski area to a, to a bike park. What was your connection to mountain biking? How did you get on fire for mountain biking? Yeah, I, I, started, I started riding bikes in the 90s, and I started um, getting more serious about riding bikes when I discovered, I was riding on rail trails, you know, like uh, fire road kind of stuff. But then a buddy of mine introduced me to single track riding in the, in the Middlesex Fells, Massachusetts. And that's when my eyes sort of perked up. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, even though it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a, a type of trail system that would hook the masses. It's just I had, you know, I'd been a, I'm a skier and, and uh, used to that sort of environment. So, and being pushed by my buddies at the time, it was, it was just a really good experience. And so that's, that's kind of what started for me. Like that was in late, probably mid to late 90s. Of course, then the whole free ride mountain bike scene took off and, and I was, you know, involved in that. Uh, we started, you know, instead of riding just, you know, we had spandex pants and fully rigid bikes. Uh, that turned into, oh, we need a front suspension. You know, this some of the terrain we're starting to encounter is getting a little bit more rowdy. And then when the free ride mountain bike scene started happening where, you know, a lot of people were looking at doing drops, big drops off ledges and, and riding skinnies. You know, this is going back 20 years ago. Um, my buddies and I were, were like, we need bigger bikes. You know, we need full suspension bikes. And some of my buddies in that crew were also downhill mountain bike racers, which was, uh, you know, it, 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 it had come on before free, the free ride mountain bike scene. You know, you had the downhill mountain bike scene. So I started racing downhill mountain bikes. And then I went to Whistler, Whistler Bike Park. <laughs> and that's, that's what kind of really changed it for me was uh, that experience that I had at a modern-day bike park. Yeah, just, you know, back then, you know, 20-plus years ago, describe what was going on at Whistler and what was special about that. Yeah, so the difference between what Whistler was doing and and what everybody else was doing that I had experience with on the East Coast was they were they were uh, engineering their trails. They were building machine-built berms. They had, um, you know, jumps, actual machine-built jumps and and drops really creative in the way they were building their features, their wooden features. You know, you com- you combine that if you if you create a uh, you know the, the common term is flow in your trail. Uh, you know it, you feel it, right? So you're riding down a trail and you're going around berms and you're hitting jumps and you do a drop. You, it's it's it, it grabs you. And that's Whistler did that really well. They they just put more effort into designing and building their trails, and that was uh, that's what really inspired me to um, to you know appreciate what what Whistler was doing. I mean, talk about being in front of the curve. Those they were way in front of the curve with their investment, with the the trail building, the maintenance of the trails. I mean, they they were. They saw something which really the whole rest of the active outdoor industry did not see. Yeah, that's that's right. And it takes, you know, it takes visionaries to be able to sort of see that. And it, it certainly takes capital to be able to do that. I mean, there's plenty of young kids that want that, but they just don't have the means, the capital to do it. 
Um, and I see it all the time. You know, it's the, it's the, in the resorts, you know, they're, at least from my experience, the East Coast resorts are sort of guilty in the early days of just allowing younger folks, anybody really, to go out on their mountains and do a rake and ride, right? But not necessarily bring an excavator out on the hill and, and experiment. Whereas I think Whistler had that, you know, they had enough people behind them. The management team understood that, you know, there's, there's some effort that goes into this. And with that is there's costs, right? So I'm sure that, you know, listen, you gotta, you have to pay people to do this. You have, uh, if you're building with machines, you have machine costs and fuel, uh, it gets it gets expensive, so they they spent this they spent the money to to do it right, and of course the sport has evolved quite a bit since then. But you know they were certainly the guys that that started it. They certainly did, and and you know it's not like snow, right? It's not like taking a snow cat out and building a berm and grooming it. We're talking about moving dirt, earth, rocks, and manicuring that for the entire trail. That that's no easy effort, really. No, it's not. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole process that we follow today from just the initial exploration to the, the flagging of the trail to the actual physical construction of the trail. And, you know, um, all of that adds up to labor and you've got to pay people and you got to pay. And today you have to pay them pretty good. And if you have a good operator, you want to pay them, you want to keep them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. There's no question. I mean, you, you come back, you see a defunct ski area, and we've all seen them. You know, it's not a pretty sight. Uh, the lodge is probably in disrepair. The lift hasn't spun in a while. You don't know if the bearings on it work. Uh, you've got headaches. Oh, I mean, it looks cool and exciting to see, oh, we can drop this and do that. But that's a pile of headaches. Like, what did it take to move that? from that spot forward to even opening your first or second trail. Well, yeah, it, it you know, first of all, it takes passion. You gotta, you gotta want to do this. And I was fortunate that I had sold a high tech business in 2000, right at the peak, you know, where I had just visit, visited Whistler selling my business and contemplating my next move. So I had the capital and then um, the passion, and that's that's really that's the big two things, in my opinion, that you need to be able to do something like that. Yeah, you got to hang in there. With the passion, kind of keeps you coming back uh, when you see the big bill, right? Yeah, I get the oh, so I have this red folder that my finance director hands to me on a on a weekly basis, sometimes a couple couple times a week. And then there's yeah, there's a lot of bills in that, and you know, as long as the money's coming in. As long as our, our our business is working, it's it's okay to to have the red folder. But yeah, that red folder is not going away. It's only getting bigger and more complicated. Bring me into current day, from a defunct ski area to now. What is the mountain bike park? What's it look like? We'll be right back. Mad River Coffee House, the best of 603. Located just off of Exit 28 off Highway 93 in Campton, New Hampshire. Open 6 to 6. Voted the best cup of coffee north of Concord. Start and end your adventure here. Online at madrivercoffeeroasters.com. 
North Country's Center of the Arts at Jean's Playhouse in Lincoln, New Hampshire, presents award-winning Broadway-style plays, musicals, and children's theater, as well as comedians, cover bands. Get your tickets today at jeansplayhouse.com. Well, we have um, have 30-something trails. We have, now we have two lifts. We just installed a new conveyor lift. We have an indoor center, which for training, it's a 9,100 square foot indoor center as a resi mat, a foam pit. Um, I just purchased a airbag lander. So we'll have uh, that for our, our camp business. We are, um, you know, our mission's pretty simple. We build trails, we teach people how to ride them, and we're 100% biking related. That mission is driven by three business platforms. We have the Highland Mountain Bike Park, which is, you know, you buy a ticket, you rent a bike, you take a lesson, you buy some t- a T-shirt or a hat, you know, that classic ski area model. Platform number two is our camp business. So that's the overnight, you know, the more committed camper. So we run adult and kid camps all season. And then platform uh, number three is our trail building business. So everything we know how to do right now, building that bike park, we take it on the road and we design and construct and basically consult uh, other ski operators, ski resort operators on how to build their bike park. Or we build for municipalities, pump tracks, cross-country networks for, for private owners, private homeowners. Uh, so, yeah, so those three platforms are pretty much what keep us in business, the Highland Mountain Bike Park platform, the camp platform, and the uh, trails platform. I mean, on any given day, heading up Highway 93, you see mountain bikes. You see your sticker on cars. You see the bikes hanging over the back of pickup trucks. They're going, they're going to your place. When you start to look into that, what I see is a community of really loyal people. Talk to me about the community and how that has sort of been created and support the whole thing. The unique thing about Highland and the community is, first of all, like I said in the, the mission, it, you know, we're, we're 100% biking related. So when you come to the bike park, that's your user group. Everybody knows what they're getting. They're just they're around other bikers. There's not a zip line and a mountain coaster or not a ski resort. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. And I think they work great at other ski resorts, but for us, it's not us. We're a hundred percent biking. So you pull on, pull in that parking lot, whether you're a brand new rider or, you know, the best rider in the world. And we've got something for you and we've got that community and that, that vibe that is mountain biking. Yeah, I mean, that's cool, right? Because you pull up into that parking lot and people are going to ride by you. More bikes are going to pull in. They're dressed in the garb. They have the equipment. There's a real atmosphere there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that, you know, that atmosphere, it it's, uh, there's just a lot of, I hope this never changes, but there, there's just so many cool people in this sport. You know, they're, super friendly, willing to help out. Even the top riders are giving tips to brand new people. And I hear that time and time again, you know, and it's the surroundings too. It's the leadership. It starts with the leadership and how they treat, how each one of my management team treats 
the people that work for them. And everybody's, I, I get this comment all the time that, you know, from customers saying your, your staff is so awesome. They're so cool. And that plays into the vibe as much as the biking does. The whole thing is just, it, it's just really working. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's working and it's special. It's hard to create that. So I really, my hat's off to you for doing that. That's not an easy task to have that. You know, from my point of view, what it does is creates a belonging. People aren't outsiders when they show up there that your whole, your staff is wrapping their arms around the people who show up. Yeah, that for sure. You know, like I said, I mean, I get a lot of compliments about how, how, awesome everybody is. And that comes from the top down. You know, I'm not just patting myself on the back. I mean, I, I have my grumpy moments running a business, but it's my team that can hold me together. You know, when I need to, when I need that pat on the back, like in a, in a loving way, like it's all right, we're going to get through, you know, none of us, none of us wake up in the morning and say, Hey, how can we really make Highland crappy today? You know, we, everybody's invested in this thing on the team and they, they just genuinely like, I'm, I'm saying this from my perspective, they genuinely you know like to come to work and, and be there. You know, most of my staff rides bikes. So it's a cool place to work and a cool environment to, to be in. And for the most part, people, you know, customers are awesome. Like I said, you're bringing people in from, from outside the state, and you've created an amazing following with inside the state. As a youth uh, soccer coach, a lot of my players turned into mountain bikers and, you know, kind of got hooked and left team sports and really got on fire for it. And a big part of that was the camps. Talk about the camps and, and how that is sort of the bedrock for what you're growing. Yeah, again, that speaks to that one of our our driving platforms, which is the camp platform, really ultimately what we're creating is a, a, a place for anybody to come, whether you're the first time rider or the best rider in the world to um, just get better, you know, to improve your skills, to be a better rider. I mean, whether you want to just come and enjoy the day and sit in the back and, you know, eat some food, hang out, or you want to, um, you know, what we're really creating is that ability for that next rider to take their riding to that next level. So the camps is a, a big part of that. You know, some folks may never want to go into camp. They just want to come and ride. They just want to play around in that, that first platform, right? The Highland Mountain Bike platform. I got a season pass. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to rip around on some trails and have a great time, blow off some steam. But a big driver of our business is you know, for that, that rider that really wants to take their riding to that next level and whether they want to be flipping, you know, Freebird, which is our big jump at the bottom of the hill, or, you know, they just want to be able to tear down the mountain at, you know, world cup speeds, whatever it is that they want to do. We, you know, we're providing that environment through our, through our camps and our, our, our lessons and coaching staff. What I've seen with the kids is that there's a pathway forward and they get really hooked on that. And I think one of the key things to that is the sponsorship, right? Red Bull and the other national, international brands that you've brought to it have been able to showcase high-level pros and now you have a pathway to get there. Talk about how sponsors have played a role because 
to me, it's a key part of what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, the the thing with uh, with sponsorship, Red Bull is actually one of our sponsors, and they've uh, they've been great. John Devio, who's uh, our our contact there, he sits down with us every year, and we come up with strategies on what they'd like to see on the mountain. And they're really good about not being too much in the face of the camps, you know, cause we have the adult camps and the kids camps, but you know, we just have to navigate that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, they've been great as far as, as, you know, supporting us in creating ramps, you know, for slope style course or, uh, supporting us with our airbag that, uh, especially the last airbag we bought, they helped us out a lot with that and just the awareness, you know, and the, the infrastructure that they bring as far as like music, uh, music support and event support. But yeah, when you're, when you align yourself with a good sponsor, I think people, people take note, you know, they might maybe take you a little bit more serious over the years. It's not like I've been chasing the sponsorship. It has to feel right. And some sponsors come and go and others stick around. So you know, the ones that stick around have, have, uh, we'll be right back. Waterville Valley is New Hampshire's family resort. If you're looking for an authentic, independent ski resort with local charm, elite snow conditions, look no further. Ranked the number one ski resort in the East by Condé Nast Traveler. Waterville offers year-round activities, including 265 acres of alpine skiing, lift service mountain biking, golf, country skiing, food festivals, live outdoor concerts, and more. All kids under five ski free when you purchase an adult pass. Learn more at Waterville. Good, good partnership. It's crucial, I think, to have one world-class riders kicking around your place, having the terrain that, that breeds that, and, of course, the sponsorship that goes along. A lot, lot of exposure, and you're calling yourself America's bike park. That's a huge statement, right? I mean, we're going from Whistler to Highland. That's a big jump and you've created that yeah i mean that that's uh um yeah i don't know if we're being too bold by saying that but we we kind of captured that name years ago and it's just sort of stuck with us along the way i I think you know one of the things that we were able to say at least you know not today but at one point we, we we could we could say that we were the only bike park that was a lift access bike park that was exclusive exclusively about biking and where other areas were you know if they had a lift they were a ski resort right so we were the we were the bike park with a lift that wasn't a ski resort that was just a bike park now there's other bike parks opening up that are you know exclusive bike parks yeah that's uh that's a big name america's bike park (laughs) i love it i mean it goes a long way to I think to the community and everything you've created around that. And I think what's interesting too, is that you're consulting and helping others to build parks. Right. But at the same time, it's competition. And, you know, I think one thing when it comes to the ski areas and the resort business, they like fads, they like things that look like they're going to move the needle. But as you spoke about earlier, not always there with the financial backing to make it happen. What's it been like to see the resorts increase their awareness of mountain biking and what's it done to your business? Yeah, I, I remember actually um, 
having a conversation with uh, Dave Kelly, who's one of the uh, owners of Gravity Logic. And, you know, he came over to the park. This is before I started the trail building business. And he said, uh, you know, we're, we're helping Killington, which I knew. We're helping Thunder Mountain, new bike, bike park. And he goes, you know, it's only going to help you. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. You know, I, I get it. You know, we need to get more people into the sport. So by going out on the road and, and designing and building trails for others, in my opinion, it's the, it's the best thing that we can do for the sport because, you know, X, Y, if, especially if XYZ Resort gets into it, and if they're if they're not designing the trails the right way and they're not hooking the masses, the biggest challenge in that scenario is maybe a family shows up at XYZ bike park and and there there's truly not a trail for them. They're probably not coming to Highland. They're probably not gonna go to Thunder, they're not gonna go to Killington, they're out of sport. They're like, Okay, this this isn't for us. But if they're designing and building the trails by legitimate good professional trail builders, then then they're creating this they're growing the sport you know we've been helping loon since uh 2019 design and build their bike park and part of the strategy isn't just island trails goes in and just continues to build every year it's it's helping them develop their teams too so they don't have to depend on us in the future they can build their own trails and maintain their own trails and and yeah it's competition there's no question but you know we've carved ourselves a little a little area in the in the in the business and hopefully we'll we'll get some of that too as it grows you know a big part of skiing of course is going to the next place and having a a bucket list of resorts that i want to go to and is mountain biking sort of the same way if i'm a killington mountain biker do i also have highland on my list and i've got to get there yeah i think so and and you know whether you're a killington rider or, or a thunder rider or highland rider it's it's a great experience to go, like you said, you know, from a ski standpoint, same thing. I love going to different ski areas. And with Highland, there we have, um, you know, just a different feel than, than Killington, a much smaller mountain, cram a lot of stuff into a, a small space. Um, some of the things that we have, may they may not necessarily have, like we got a full slope-style course, we have the indoor center. Um, but they have huge vertical and, and, you know, more miles of trail. And so you, you get this, these different experiences when you go to these different resorts and, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a great thing to have. I mean, I remember when I first opened Highland and went on a little tour, I went to uh Platicill, which I went out in my racing days, I used to race Platicill and, um, went to Mountain Creek and rode Mountain Creek and, and then back to Highland and rode Highland for the day. So I had three days, three separate experiences, and it was amazing. I mean, the more bike parks that we open, the more of that is available to everybody from, you know, just the, the different levels and different different styles of the park and the different vibes that they give off. And so, yeah, I I, I think that we absolutely, in my opinion, every single ski resort should be doing this. You know, and I really honestly think that the uh, bike park industry, you know, is going to take a few years, but I would say uh, 20 years, the bike park industry will be as big, if not bigger than the ski industry. I mean, there's already, there's 40 million mountain bikers that, you know, represent a a relatively small number of rider visits at, at bike parks, whereas there's 10 million skiers, 
you know, in the United States, that represents something like 50 to 55 million skier visits. So we've already got almost four times the amount of bikers that we have as skiers. So we create more trails, there's going to be more people riding. And create more mountain resort-type trails, there's going to be more people going to the resorts. So, and we're seeing that. You know, we're seeing the sports really starting to take off and more resorts. You know, they'll see the next resort being successful. And, and then you'll have the management team go, okay, yeah, let's invest in the in our bike park program. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, bold prediction, Mark. I love that. And uh, I think people need to pay attention to that. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Of course, we're not just talking about grabbing a camelback and a bike and heading off for a ride. There's some gear here. Uh, there's protection. There's helmets. There's Talk about the gear today. What are people wearing and how it's building towards the safety? The gear just continues to get better. You know, uh, the, the, the helmets get lighter. The, you know, Liat came out with a brace, a neck brace. You know, I see a lot of people wearing those elbow pads, knee pads, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, full face helmets, all of those, all of that protection is something that every bike park should offer, you know, in their retail. We can't necessarily force people to wear it because, you know, we want to make sure people have the freedom to do what they want to do, but off, offer it. And it, whether it's uh, we can rent it or sell it on site, the key is, you know, the more comfortable you can make it, people are going to wear it, right? If it's not comfortable, you don't see people wearing it. And there's, there's an image too, you know, some people you see coming down the hill with a, a half shell. And, you know, we require at least a helmet. Uh, we're not forcing anybody to wear elbow pads or knee pads. Um, but then on the other side of that, you see, you know, people that are fully body, body armored up. And, you know, if you fall on your face and you don't have a full face helmet and you're just wearing a half half shell, you can smash up your face and it's probably probably time to wear a full face after that or you know plenty of scuffed up knee pat knees and and shins and, and elbows just because you know they didn't put the protection on so i think you got to offer it uh i think the industry needs to continue to innovate and invent new types of products that people will want to wear from a you know comfort standpoint standpoint and from a style standpoint I mean, no one wants to be out there looking like a looking dorky in you know their equipment. So I think the manufacturers have actually done they continue to do a better job just streamlining all that stuff and making it look cool and which is you know benefits the rider. And that's part of the belonging, right? That's part of fitting in and feeling like you're 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 belong there and that you have the right gear. How about airbags? What's happening with mountain biking and airbags and are we gonna see that and are there do they exist now? So what's come along in recent years is um, airbag landers like they use in skiing and they've used in skiing for a while. So you're starting to see that become more of a, a common thing in, you know, in, in, in more, uh, you know, the, the camp-driven environments. So we have a, we actually purchased an airbag lander that's, we'll have it, hopefully have it ready for our camps this year that's kick off in July. Uh, we have to rebuild the whole a whole section lower lower mountain area, uh, but that's that's great. The landers allow you to go up, you know, hit the jump and do your maneuver, and and then land on your wheels and then roll it out. And it's you know very close to simulating what you would do on dirt, rather than just you know a flat bag. You're landing in the bag and you're sinking into the bag. 
you know, so a lot of the guys still use the flat bags, especially the, you know, the, the, the high up super talented riders that are competing in competitions like the Red Bull Rampage, you know, they'll use a, a flat, a flat bag. Um, they'll, they'll, you know, jump off of a big a cliff at their back in their backyard or something. They'll have the bag set up and just practice their tricks into the, into that. Um, so I don't think they're, they're going away for everybody, but for us from a progression standpoint, uh, we think it's going to be, you know, uh, something that will really add some value to our camp camp product. You know, in motorcycle, the airbags are coming into rider safety. They're wearing the airbags and they're exploding upon impact and things like that. Is is that happening in mountain biking? Oh, you're talking about yeah, just like a like a neck brace or something that yeah. pop, that blows up. And yeah. I haven't seen that. I actually have not seen that at the bike park. Uh, not to say someone's out there wearing that, but that. Again, that gets down to comfort, right? If uh, if you can make those comfortable enough, can you imagine if you could just spray on a suit, right? And you could be out there in your t-shirt and shorts and know that if you fell, uh, you'd be okay. Obviously, that doesn't exist. So the closer you can get to that comfort and that style and that feel, I think the better. But I, yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen a um, an airbag type suit at uh, at Highland. It's pretty cool, you know. Of course, in in skiing. Uh, with the avalanche airbags, we're seeing like a 95-plus success rate in rescuing people surviving avalanches when they deploy the bag. And if you look at that, uh, the motorcycle racing, there's a suit that comes up, total body suit upon impact, and the leash is broken. The leash is broken once they come, roll off the bike. And it def- a few years ago, I did a story on an on a airbag that exploded to protect your neck. Uh, for bicycles, just for bicycles. So, yeah, maybe we'll see it. Who knows? Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to. Um, I'm interested now. I'm, I'm going to go talk to my my bike shop director and see uh, if he's had any uh, interest in bringing those in or talk to any of the you know the distributors. Yeah, cool. You mentioned one thing uh, earlier, and that was flow and the importance of flow in the trail. I'm wondering how this whole experience for you and your relationship with gravity and flow, how has it changed you personally? What's, what's been the big revelation for you connecting with gravity, building flow and being part of all that? When a trail is built right, like every trail should flow, whether it's a tech trail or a, a rooty rocky trail, a machine built free ride trail, or, or, or a blend trail, which is a combination of, of tech and free ride, it should, you know, quote, quote, flow, right? And, and that sensation of, of going down the hill where you have uh, the right speeds for the jumps, um, you know, the right sight lines, the right frequency of rollers for that particular rated trail, because every trail, it, you know, whether it's a beginner trail, an intermediate trail, or an advanced trail, should have some sort of flow, but maybe if you're a beginner rider and you jump on a, a black diamond trail, maybe it doesn't have that flow for you because you're not ready for it. Um, so you design, you design flow into the trail with, you know, uh, the sight lines, the, the frequencies, the speeds that you need, the, um, the amplitude, you know, the size of the jump. So, and you know, you know, you have it when you're when you're down at the bottom, and you go, "Wow, that was that was awesome!" Like I don't even know why, 
it. I just rode a trail that was amazing. Versus if you didn't have that flow, if you had the wrong speeds and the wrong frequencies, and you would just get to the bottom and say, yeah, that was okay, but it, something felt a little, a little funny. Um, so flow for me is, is uh, yeah, since I've, I've been skiing longer than I've been mountain biking, and just, just that sensation of getting to the bottom and, and feeling something that just feels right. Like, get me back on that chairlift. Let me do that again. And that, uh, that all comes into the design, the build of a trail. How has it helped you with your daily chaos of running a, a mountain bike park? Are you flowing better in business or how does that feel? Oh yeah. So you're saying like, you know, like metaphorically speaking, how many, how much flow do I have in my life just because I have this physical flow of, of real world. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that sort of thing does help, you know, just everything, just that you have to feel right about what's going on. The, the, the better you feel, the, at least in my case, the, you know, the, the more confidence I have and, uh, maybe the more drive I have. Uh, so yeah, the flow in business, um, in business, you need to know, you know, three, three main things in business. You need, you know, know, your, uh, your cash flows, your P and L's, your profit and losses and your balance sheet. If you can understand those three sections of business and, and you can predict, right. You can, you can budget really well and you can forecast really well. You, you're in the flow state there too. You know, that's something I've learned to do over many years of being in business is just, first of all, surrounding myself by the right people that can advise me in those areas. And then just, and just, well, sorry for the pun flowing with it. And, uh, it's been, uh, yeah, the whole business, the whole thing, you know, I ride less today, um, ride less on the mountain. I ride, I still ride outside the mountain, but I spend the day working, you know, as my, that's my job. <laughs> and I do try to get out here and there. Um, but absolutely my therapy session is after work is getting out on the trails and uh, just decompressing. And then that allows me to, you know, get really understand like, this is why I'm doing this. You know, I'm, I'm in this sport because I, I truly love it. And I, and I've always have since I, since I got hooked the original day I got hooked back in the nineties. So having a business can have its business challenges, but you know, being able to get out and ride and experience that flow is uh, a big part of it. We'll be right back. Ski Fanatics is the ski shop of the White Mountains, where skiing isn't just something you do. It's something you are. Located off of Exit 28 on Highway 93 in Campton, New Hampshire, whether you ski, snowboard, snowshoe, hike, kayak, canoe, stand-up paddleboard, or camp, stop by Ski Fanatics this season for expert advice, professional gear fitting, and this summer, don't forget about the Ski Fanatics tubing shuttle on the PEMI. Check them out online at skifanatics.net. Absolutely. And, you know, Mark, you've one being very successful in building America's bike park and creating this culture, but you're changing a community. You're changing Tilton, Northfield, Franklin. Talk a little bit about that and what the impact you've had and what are the, some of the future uh, initiatives around all that? 
Yeah, there's some really, there's a really cool thing happening in that area. And it's not just what I've managed to accomplish with my amazing team, but um, down the road from us, two towns over is uh, Franklin, and they're building a new whitewater park. I I started a, uh, a nonprofit with a few other amazing people called the Foothills Foundation, and the Foothills Foundation, well, the, the it's um, the mission there is to promote outdoor recreation and economic expansion through community partnerships. So ultimately, our first phase is to try to connect Highland Mountain Bike Park with uh, Mill City Park, which is the Whitewater Park, through a system of trails, uh, from cross-country flowy-type trails to the main vein, which is the uh, Winnipesaukee River Trail that goes um, you know, from Franklin to Northfield. So making that connection is is going to be the critical first piece because you have these two economic drivers, Highland Mountain Bike Park and, and the Whitewater Park. So that that is uh, the big piece of it, the big piece of the puzzle. But then we also have Franklin Falls, which is right around the corner, connecting Franklin into that system, um, which is, you know, that's central, Nehem, uh, central Nemba guys, friends of mine, Mike and Matt and some of the other folks over there building great teams of builders, but connecting that system into uh, the Franklin Highland system. Uh, great Gaines is another one. Great Gaines was just, which was the Veterans Memorial Ski Area. Um, Kyle Matsky was also part of the Central Nemba chapter. He's over there spearheading some of the downhill trails. Now these are all free trail systems. You know you can just pedal up and and, and ride down. Uh, there's the the Spalding Youth Center trails. So there's existing trail networks, and ultimately what we're trying to do with the foothills is connect all those existing trail networks utilizing um, you know utilizing the, the rail trails to make the main vein connection and then having all these amazing uh, trails throughout the throughout the woods uh, that have wayfinding and ratings trail ratings uh, that connect to you know the downtown downtown recreation assets uh, creating more assets in the future uh, encouraging more entrepreneurs to come in to build you know that outdoor recreation scene um, but yeah, we're super active in, you know, the next five years in that area, I say, is going to be a little recreation Mecca. I've, I've heard that uh, phrase used, Mecca, and when you describe it like that, I mean, that's a lot of territory. That's a lot of trails. That's going to drive a lot of people, a lot of recreation, a lot of overnights, a lot of restaurants. That's an amazing initiative all around biking, mountain biking, and all of water parks, all of that comes with it. It's amazing. What an impact. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what makes our area unique as is that we have 93, the main highway that, that goes right between, you know, the area. So we can draw millions, millions of people into the area. You, You know, you build something fun, something, uh, create something fun for, for everybody, you know, that the community, the people that live there, give them something to do. The businesses that are there, uh, they have a, they'll have a much better opportunity to uh, bring in, you know, bring in people from the outside that may, may want to work at their business. You know, how do you attract more talent to your area? Well, give them things to do, 
right? So we have a really good opportunity to, to give people from all around uh, just an amazing experience through this outdoor recreation. Yeah, it's happening. It's, it's happening right now. That's that it is happening and it's so exciting uh, for New Hampshire. You moved up from Massachusetts, um, as many of us do. What's it like to call New Hampshire home? New Hampshire's a, a, a really cool state. You know, there's it's it's a, there's a lot of open spaces. It is uh, close, very close to a major city, Boston. Um, so we've got this massive playground and. New Hampshire's been really trying to drive the outdoor scene. There's there's uh, politicians in the in the state that that get it, and you know I've been trying to work with with a lot of those folks. Janelle Lawton, who's the uh, director over at Orid, you know she works with Taylor Coswell, that's her boss, and they're outdoor people. They get the ski in the in the bike world. So you need we need those people, you know, from a political standpoint to to support. New Hampshire and, and, and the outdoor, the outdoor scene. And then with that, you know, you make it easier for guys like me to be doing business in a town, in a city or a, a state like New Hampshire, we're going to come in, you know, and we're going to, we're going to set up our shops and, and continue to, uh, you know, leverage this beautiful open space environment, this, uh, these natural resources and make an amazing playground out of it. You know, you, you took a defunct ski area 20 years ago, turned it into America's. You've taken this defunct ski area and turned it into America's bike park and created culture. You're a visionary. You're connecting with the the rebuilding of Franklin and the surrounding area. I don't know if you've got another 20 years in you, but what's the legacy? What do you want to leave behind? And what are you building towards? Yeah, 20 years. That's that. that I'm 57. So that puts me at 77. And so I have a, uh, my strategic finance guy who I met probably eight years ago now. He, yeah, I said, Bill, when, you, when you're done, that's when I'm done. So whatever age you quit at, that's when I'm quitting. So I know that. I, I, I'll know that when he's, <laughs> when he's all done. But yeah, I, I feel like I have another, another 20 years, a solid 20 years to build this thing. I think it needs another solid 20 years before I can sort of drop the mic and hopefully walk away with knowing that myself and my team have created something really amazing, really special. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the reinvestment is about the passion, right? It's about the perseverance to keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's the, the part that's sticking my neck out, continuously sticking my neck out, like not quitting, Right, not saying, okay, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. It's no, I'm taking this thing, continuously taking this thing to the next level. And there's a risk with doing that every time. Like, why don't I just stop now right. and sell it? Right? Yeah. Some people aren't you. Don't you want to sell it? No. no. I mean, I'm, I got something going here. This is really cool. And like we said earlier, I've got maybe 20 years. Yeah, doing this. I mean, I think that's interesting because a lot of people will build something to sell. But the real entrepreneur builds something to to stay a real permanent piece. Then you know when you're not a flipper, when you're a real entrepreneur, you want a legacy. You want something. You want to ch- make changes. Is that how you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends on the business you're in. I think the old high tech business. I wanted to make money. 
right? It wasn't, I didn't go into it with the passion. There was an opportunity there uh, that, you know, my father had presented to me years ago and, 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 and yeah, that was about making money, right? But once I got into it, I had, I was learning about, you know, just light theory, photons, you know, the physics of it, and just trying to understand that more. I got more passionate about it. Um, but would always, would always wonder why nobody wanted to go ride a bike because I really like riding bikes and everybody wanted to golf, which is fine, but I was a bike rider. I wanted to ride bikes. So yeah, driving that, um, you know, having that passion for, for whatever it is you do. And it isn't about the money. Of course you need to make money. You know, that's a part of it. If you're not making money, the company's not working. Um, but you got to like what you're doing. And I love what I'm doing. And that's a big part of it. And I want to keep doing it. What else am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what, what else am I going to do? <laughs> and uh, your dad, your dad's still with us. And what's he think of the business? Well, my, yeah, my dad, uh, he passed away just recently. Um, but he, he was super proud of the business. And the only reason I know this is because uh, recently uh, a, a couple friends of my dad, they approached me and said, you know, your dad would talk about you a lot. He didn't necessarily show me that, you know, not that he didn't care about me, but it wasn't, you know, he would, he would talk me up behind the scenes and then, you know, he wouldn't let me know that, which I think is pretty cool. That's a neat experience you have with your dad's friends. I, I've been lucky enough to have that as well. You know, I'll be at doing a book signing or something and somebody will come up and I know your dad and tell me where that is and the connection and then the stories they've heard through my dad. It is special when you hear it like that because it reminds you of them and, you know, it's, it's, they're living on through those stories and those friends. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, my dad was, uh, he was a good guy. He was a humble guy, you know, which made him really likable. And he was funny. He was fun to, fun to hang out with, you know, as a kid growing up. And, and, then, and then just seeing, you know, me in college. Um, I was out of college. I got a four-year degree. And then when I got out, I was in my profession. And he knew I really didn't like what I was doing. And it was this opportunity to start this fiber optic high-tech business. And He's super genuine. He's like, let's, let's go to the bank. I'll co-sign a loan. And yeah, so very supportive throughout the years. You know, like I said earlier, we, you know, we sold the business and that gave me the means to be able to start Highland and the capital to do it. Just had to add that passion too. (laughs) There's a legacy right there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, the sticker. Describe the logo, the sticker, and what does it represent, and why has it become so popular? Well, the logo, uh, you know, I was taught this a long time ago by my friend Lorelai, uh, who actually designed the the logo. It was back in 2004, maybe. Uh, you want it to be simple, like, you know, like Nike. It's a simple logo. You can, you can expand it, you can shrink it down, and you can still identify with it. So you want to have a, a logo that's that's not embellished with all kinds of colors and shapes, and it's just it's it's too much for the human brain to so, sort of you know process and be and think it's iconic. So I think the simpler forms are are, are better, at least from you know the, the education I've had, the minimal education I've had on logos. But our logo 
is actually a hidden H, like Highland. So if you fill in the, the logo, you'd see an H. But you could also put enough uh, a number, you know, put the logo side by side, and it and it looks like a bike track, a mountain bike trail, or a mountain bike tread. Sick. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it's a tread. It's a bike. That's awesome. It's an H. It's an H. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, you see them. You see them all up and down the highway. Uh, it's an iconic uh, sticker at this point. I was just coming to your studio, and I saw one on the back of a truck. I would never see them. People would tell me all the time, "Hey, I saw your logo," and they take pictures. They're at the wherever at the coffee shop and waiting in line, and they'd see a sticker on a car at the drive up and. And my sister sent me a, uh, she lives out in Aspen and she sent me a, a sticker of one on a shuttle bus that, uh, you know, skier shuttle bus. I was like, wow, that's really cool. And just not, you know, knowing that I didn't stick on any, I never stick them anywhere because I want to, I don't want to cheat. I want to see them. And I haven't, I haven't for the longest time. I never saw my logos. I, I don't know if I was just, just oblivious as I'm driving, but now I do see them. You know, I, I see them. We had 50, 53,000 rider visits last year, and the year before was just as busy. And, you know, every year it gets, it, it, it gets busier, and so more people are, are, you know, it's just a, I guess it's the law, the law of averages. So you're you're going to just start seeing more of them. I mean, I, it's coming together. The, the foundation is there. How does it make you feel that you're well on your way? Yeah, I I don't. People ask me that all the time, and I'm in it. You know, I'm I'm in the the noise of it and the ups and the downs and all that stuff. And you know, to stop and smell the roses and really look back and say, "Wow, look at look what's going on here." I, I feel like there's just I, I can't do that right now. You know, it's because I'm just in it. You know, it's easy, I guess, maybe if I wasn't involved in this, looking at it going, wow, that's a pretty cool place, what those guys did over there. That, that's just not me right now. I can't, I can't, I can't step outside of this thing. I just, I just got to keep going. I can't get too cocky. Just got to stay in the flow. I got to stay in the flow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, if you haven't been, drop up there to Highlands Mountain Bike Park and check it out. Just go for the scene. Go take a look. Uh, enjoy the base lodge look around your neighbors are up there your friends are up there uh, and the future of mountain biking is up there Marquez thanks for joining us on the 603 Dan thanks for having me the 603 podcast is sponsored by Mad River Coffee Roasters your adventure starts and stops here madrivercoffeeroasters.com Waterville Valley Resort New Hampshire's family resort WaterbillValley.com. Jeans Playhouse in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Check out their summer schedule at jeansplayhouse.com. And Ski Fanatics, your one stop shop for year round adventure at skifanatics.net. Follow us on Instagram at 603 Podcast. The 603 Podcast is recorded at Studio Lab in Derry, New Hampshire. Produced by Sammy Blair. I'm Dan Egan. Thanks for listening.